Jenny Conley, Nate Query, John Moan, and frontman from Montana, Colin Malloy. Seen him two, three times. This is why we fight from the King is Dead album. And this is Labor Lines on KRFP FM 90.3, 90.3 out of Moscow, Idaho, and streaming live on krfp.org. The show is Labor Lines. My name is John Andrzejczyk, and I want to start out first and foremost by thanking the three anonymous donors to KRFP's Adopt-A-DJ program, whose contribution goes directly to the specific program, and to all who have joined community-supported, community-supporting KRFP. Please support this program and all our great programming by becoming a member. Go to krfp.org and find out how. Okay, so this show is being recorded from my home on the Great Clearwater River in Lewis, excuse me, Idaho County, Idaho, where we experienced the season-ending event or what we call when I was in the fire service, and I'm sure they do the same now. The fire season ending event, got some good rain out here. The sky is clear, nice and cool. And the show is being recorded for play on September 29th on a Tuesday. So if you're listening when this gets aired, I hope you will stay tuned. We have a couple interviews, one with Ellen Kupchak. Executive Director with the Oregon Tradeswomen, talking about her program, excuse me, her program, her organization's program, and bringing women into the trades, carpenters, electricians, pipe fitters, steam fitters, on and on. It just was a great interview. I am so enthusiastic about her program. As a laborer myself, carrying a card with 238 out of Spokane, and retired out of the great IBEW. Also, we're going to hear from Elaine Spencer, an independent candidate running for Idaho Senate District 14 down in Eagle, outside of Boise, Idaho. And again, of course, since this is Labor Lines, talking labor, talking unions, talking workers. About an hour of interviews in this two-hour program sandwiched with some music so we are going to get into that music right now thank you. 
share this room And we work hard for the crack Sleeping late on Sundays Well, I never get to mass It's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here When Friday comes around, well, Terry's only into fighting Me ma would like a letter home, but I'm too tired for writing It's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here It almost breaks my heart when I think of Josephine I told her I'd be coming home Pockets full of green Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here The only time that I feel alright is when I'm into drinking It sort of eases the pain of it and it levels out my thinking Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here I sometimes hear a fiddle play Or maybe it's a notion I dream I see white horses dance upon another ocean It's a long, long way from Claire to here A long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here Sixty, my dear and loving son John, your good friend, the schoolmaster Pat McNamara, so good as to write these words down. Your brothers have all gone to find work in England. The house is so empty and sad, and the crop of potatoes is sorely infected. A thirty a half of them bad. And your sister Bridget and Patrick O'Donnell are going to be married in June. And your mother says not to work on the railroad. Be sure to come on home soon. 
Kill Kelly, Ireland, 18 and 17, my dear, and loving son John. Hello to your missus and to your four children, oh, may they grow healthy and strong. And Michael has got in a wee bit of trouble, I suppose, that he never will learn. And because of the dampness, there's no turf to speak of. Now we have nothing to burn. And Brittany is happy, named the giant for her, although she's got six of her own. You say you found work, but you don't say what kind or when you will be coming home. Kilkelly, Ireland, 18 and 80, dear Michael and John, my sons. I am sorry to give you the very sad news that your dear old mother passed on. We buried her down at the church in Kilkelly, your brothers and Bridget were there. And you don't have to worry, she died very quickly, remember our heart and your prayers and it's so good to hear that Michael's returning with money he's sure to buy land for the crop has been poor and the people are selling at any price that they can Kilkelly, Ireland, 18 and 90, my dear, and loving son John. I suppose that I might go on close to 80. It's been 30 years since you've gone. But because of all of the money you sent me, I am still living out on my own. And Michael has built himself a fine house And Bridget's daughters are grown Oh, and thank you for sending your family pictures The lovely young women and men They say that you might even come for a visit What joy to see you again I'm sorry I didn't write sooner to tell you that father passed on. He was living with Bridget, she said he was cheerful and healthy right down to the end. You should have seen him playing with the grandchildren of Pat McNamara, your friend. And we bury him alongside a mother down at the Kilkenny churchyard. He was a strong and a feisty young man, considering his life was so hard. And it's funny the way he kept talking about you. He called for you at the end. Oh, why don't about coming to visit we'd all love to see you again in the deep dark hills of the Eastern Kentucky That's the place where I trace my bloodline And it's there I read on a hillside gravestone You will never leave Harlan Line Well, my granddad's dad walked down Catarina's Mountain And he asked Tilly Hilton to 
his bride He said, won't you walk with me Out of the mouth of this holler We'll never leave Harlan alive Where the sun comes up About ten in the morning Then the sun goes down About To a farm where big Richland River winds And I bet they'd dance them a jig And laugh and sing a new song Who said we'd never leave Harlan Times they got hard And tobacco wasn't selling And no granddad knew what he'd do to survive He went and dug for hard and cold And sent the money back to granny But he never left Harlan Where the sun comes up about ten in the morning and the sun goes down About three in the day And you fill your cup With whatever bitter brew you're drinking And you spend your life Just thinking of how to get away And the sun comes up About ten the sun goes down about three in the day and you fill your cup with whatever bitter brew you're drinking and you spend your life digging coal from the bottom of your grave in the deep dark hills of Eastern Kentucky That's the place where I trace my bloodline And it's there I read on a hillside gravestone You'll never leave Harlan she gave was Caroline the daughter of a miner and her ways were free and insane to me the sunshine walked beside her Come from Spencer, 
across the hill She said her paw would send her Cause the coal was low and sown the snow Won't turn the skies to winter Did she come to look for work? She was not seeking favors for a damn day and a place to stay. Oh, she turned them hands to leave. But times were hard Jobs were few All through Tecumseh Valley But she asked around And the job she found Tending bar For Gypsy Sally Get back home when the spring replaced the winter. But her dreams were denied, her power died. Word come down from Spencer. Pouring out on the streets With all the lust inside her Many a man returned again Just to lay himself beside her They found her down beneath the stairs that lead to Gypsy Sally's. And her hand when she died was a note to cry. Fathered well to Cumsel Valley. It's a mighty hard road that my poor hands have hold. My poor feet have traveled a hot, dusty road. Out of the dust bowl and westward we rolled. And your deserts were hot and your
Covering Woody Guthrie's Pastures of Plenty, Steve Earle covering Towns Van Zant's The Comes of Valley, Brad Paisley Never Leave Harlan Alive, Chris McMullen and Almost Irish Kill Kelly, and I started this half hour of music with Raph, Ralph McTell, excuse me, Ralph McTell from Claire to Here. This is Labor Lines on 90.3 FM, Moscow, Idaho on KRFP, krfp.org, where we stream live. Going to go right into an interview with Kelly Kupchak with Oregon Tradeswomen. I hope that when this gets aired on the 29th of September, all of you will stay tuned. Thank you. Hey, this is John Andercheck. I am recording an interview here at my home on the Clearwater River in smoky Idaho County, Idaho. It is, what is it? It's 9-18-2020, 18th of September. And with me, giving me a lot of her time, is Kelly Kupchak with Oregon Tradeswomen. I came across her organization in a supportive ad they put into the 120th anniversary issue of the Great Northwest Labor Press. Going to plug them and one of their great journalists, Don McIntosh, who Kelly and I both uh enjoy a friendship with kelly thank you uh we could get right into it right into oregon tradeswomen so do you want to give us some background into your organization uh, it's all yours thanks sure. again john thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you this morning it's smoky here too in portland oregon um and uh yes uh, we're i'm so privileged uh to not only be talking with you this morning but to be the executive director of Oregon Tradeswomen. We are 31 years strong this year. Um, sadly, I'm not 31 anymore, but that's okay. Um, I've been here just three years. I came from the Midwest where I worked for a sister organization, Chicago Women in Trades. Uh, shout out to our sisters out there. Um, but I was really lucky to come into an organization um, that was just incredible in terms of their leadership here in the community and helping women get into good union construction careers uh, with the founding executive director, uh, my sister, Connie Ashbrook, um, who, like me, came from the trades. Um, Connie was an elevator constructor, and I was a union heavy equipment operator. So very proud to be doing this work. Um, our organization 
is a little uh, nonprofit. We're, we're tiny but mighty. We serve about 120 women a year in a typical year. And as you and your listeners know, John, this has not been a typical year with COVID um, and other challenges that a lot of us out here in the Pacific Northwest and the Western states are experiencing with the fires. So this year we haven't served quite that many. We had to um, close down our class earlier this year, our eight-week apprenticeship readiness class that we provide free for women um, because we needed to move our classes to an online platform due to covid and the new safety regulations here in Oregon. But we're excited. We have a class coming up in two weeks. We have 22 women who are getting ready to come in and learn about the trades and have the opportunity to meet with our union partners and the electricians, the operating engineers, the carpenters, uh, our partners over at UA, at the plumbers and pipe fitters, um, cement masons. They just get a huge opportunity to see what the trades are um, firsthand, but safely with uh, COVID protocols in place. And then in eight weeks, they complete and we about 87% of our graduates go into uh, work and registered apprenticeship right away. And about 70% into union programs, which we're really proud of, John. We're hoping to up that percentage each year that we're, we're in business because we recognize the critical importance of folks having access, not just to good jobs, but great careers with family supporting wages and benefits. So we're very lucky to have our union partners here in Oregon. Well, that's great. And as we were saying before we started recording, Kelly, uh, uh, what I, I said, and I, I truly believe this, that uh, your mission, what you're doing is uh, critical for unionism, for the labor movement in the United States, because uh, we do have a history uh, in the trades of incredible uh, barriers to uh, women and, and people of color. And we could talk about that. Uh, so if we don't give people a sense that they, too, can be part of this, they can actually get the tangible benefits. Uh, we're going to continue to dwindle um, it both in our union density and our, our public backing. And as far as unions, uh, and we were talking about this also, the trades are screaming for apprentices. So any any uh, number yeah. you can pump out, uh, you know, again, it, uh, even if a contractor wants to go union, if the union can't provide the workforce, um, it, it doesn't mean much if they're favorable or unfavorable. Yes, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, despite all of the challenges that have happened this year, Oregon has not seen our work and demand for skilled, qualified uh, workforce uh, diminish at all this year. And so there is, there is a lot of pressure on not only our organization, but there are some other community-based organizations that serve folks with apprenticeship readiness for construction. But our focus uh, is on women and folks who identify as women because they have historically and continually re uh, remained to be underrepresented in the skilled trades. So just to give a comparison, nationally, uh, tradeswomen only represent a, a just over 3% of the workforce. And here in Oregon, it's about 8%. So even though it's more than double the national average, we still have a long way to go. But about 80% of the women in the registered apprenticeship in the skilled trades came through our organization. So we're really proud of that work, but we know that we need to do more. And when we look at the numbers and the opportunity of, you know, earning power and financial security, it's really important for women who continue to be overly represented in, in households that are living in poverty. So we know that we're not just meeting a critical demand of industry, John. We are also helping women move from a pathway uh, of poverty for so many of the women we serve into prosperity. So I'll just give you a quick number. Um, women, the, the majority of women who come into our program um, are either underemployed, unemployed, receiving government benefits like SNAP or TANF. When they leave our program after eight weeks, the average starting wage is $19.41 an hour plus benefits. So that's just year one. By the time they complete their two, three, four, or five-year program, depending which craft 
they go into, they're making over $40, $50 an hour plus benefits. So they're not just getting a stable financial situation for themselves and their families. They're putting that money back into the communities they live in, which is good for our economy and good for our state. So it, you know, we look at it from both of those perspectives. That's excellent. And uh, again, you know, uh, for those who aren't too familiar with uh, union apprenticeship programs, um, you're getting paid as an apprentice. You're getting paid to learn. Union apprenticeship programs yeah. are the largest non-government. It could be the largest vocational training program in the United States. Uh, and it uh, works in conjunction with the contractor uh, uh the contractors associated with it, like you, your group mentions the uh, uh, National Energy Contractors Association, which works regionally with the IBEW, from which I just retired. And we talked about your partnership with uh, IBEW Local 48. Anyone that takes the airport bypass through Portland goes past that beautiful facility they have there. Yeah. Uh, and again, oh, it's a tremendous facility. Right. Let me, let me interrupt you. No, go right ahead underscore um, our, our gratitude for our partnership with IBEW NECA Electrical Training Center and Local 48 uh, and NECA because they give us access to that beautiful training facility and union hall every year uh, to do a career fair. And last year we had over 3,000 people show up over two days, come in, high school students, middle, middle school students, teachers, administrators, parents, and adult job seekers, and they have this incredible opportunity to get hands-on. They get to climb a utility pole, use a chainsaw. We have really good insurance, though, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> build scaffolding, um, you know, tie their hands at building a birdhouse, uh, uh, pushing cement with a, with a bull. And they, it's just incredible, and we were very sad we weren't able to do that this year because of COVID and our governor's restrictions, and, and we applaud her because it's important to keep people safe. Um, but that's just such a great way to showcase the union trades. Um, but I wanted to get back to your comment really quickly about apprenticeship as being the largest you know, vocational training entity. It has grown 128% um, since initiatives that started uh, with uh, President Obama's administration. And luckily, apprenticeship as a training model is a bipartisan um, commitment to make, making sure that job seekers have access to quality training and quality careers. So we're excited that we help get people in that pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, uh, right. Uh, and I encourage young people. If, I mean, if people don't want to get into it, that's fine. I mean, I have a daughter that's a school teacher a daughter that's a baker. I, we have a daughter that's a, a school counselor, a, a pharmacist rep, um, and uh, and a medical lab scientist. So, you know, mm -hmm. but but uh, everybody, everybody should have that uh, uh, access. Uh, again, to me, it's it's just uh, as far as equity in a society, as far as anyone that's has a stake in labor, and we all do. But anyone who's an advocate for labor, an advocate for unionism, uh, must understand that um, it's all, well. As as Bob LaVenture, who was a United State United Steelworker uh, director of uh, on the West Coast Twelve, he died tragically. But as he put it, and others, uh, it's either got to be all of us or none of us. And uh, you're certainly yeah, doing that work to, to incorporate those people. Uh, now, do you have facilities? Do you have a physical facility there, Kelly? That you, uh, we do. We are, yeah, I want to hear about that. We are so lucky. We just moved into a brand new, beautifully rehabbed facility at the beginning of this year uh, in partnership with a developer who is working on uh, multiple projects in, in, East, in the East County of Portland uh, in a community where there's uh, a lot of diversity, um, a lot of opportunity to support economic development and growth and ask us to move in. And so we, for the first time in our 31-year history, have our own training facility. And it's beautiful and we love it. And um, even though most of our training is going to be virtual uh, during COVID for safety and health reasons, 
we will be using our shop for hands-on with smaller groups. Uh, the class that's coming in will be rotating through with instructors, not only our incredible uh, instructor team of tradeswomen, but also with our union partners who come in and help do trade-specific hands-on training. So they'll get a couple days with um, the electricians. They'll get a couple days uh, with the plumbers and steam fitters. They'll get a couple days with iron workers and carpenters. So, again, we could not do that without our union partners and without our apprenticeship program partners. And it benefits them, too, not just because there are equal employment opportunity and affirmative action requirements for them, but because they get a chance to see and get to know, it's kind of like an extended interview process, really. Women in our class, that they, they need to fill their requests for apprentices. Um, so we actually have a direct entry agreement, uh, not to get too technical with your listeners, but that our partners at uh, UA Local 290 and IBEW NECA Local 48, they take women who graduate from our class who have achieved all of the requirements of our 192-hour program directly into their program. And it's been a tremendous, uh, we just piloted it formally over this last year, but it's been a tremendous opportunity for women to very quickly go to work and start earning while they're learning, which is the apprenticeship model. And I think part of what we are so excited to be part of is apprenticeship is almost like the best kept secret, right? Yes. You don't hear folks talking a lot about it. My own kids who are now grown, but when they were in high school, nobody except their mama was talking <laughs> to them about apprenticeship. Everyone was pitching college, which is tremendous. And uh, we appreciate and value higher education for sure. Um, and we work closely here with our uh, community college partners as well. But that's not the route for everybody. And if you want to get basically what we call the other four-year degree, um, you can do it without uh, accruing debt. Right. Um, in, in the time you're in your program, you're getting paid to learn while and uh, you're earning while you're learning. So for for someone to come through just an eight-week program and be able on the other side of that uh, to go to work and start earning is tremendous. But also, John, I don't want to mislead folks. It is tough, right? You You and I both worked in construction. It's physically hard. It's mentally demanding. And unfortunately, sometimes too often, for women and people of color, it can be taxing because there sadly still is sexism and racism in our industry. Um, but that's another piece of the work that we are collectively working on with our contracting partners here, our public owners here in Portland, certainly our, our union folks and apprenticeship programs and other community-based organizations who care about equity. Um, we we have a campaign underway right now, industry-wide, called Safe from Hate. So I'm proud of the work that we're doing together to change the culture uh, in our industry and on our job sites. And, and we hope that we can uh, keep making change and spread the word. And hopefully it's a movement that will that will grow nationally. Excellent. Uh, again, I'm speaking with Kelly Kupchuk. I'm recording this interview. This is John Andrzejczyk. I'm recording this interview on September 18th, my home on the Clearwater River, the Smoky Clearwater River Valley. And Kelly's over in the Smoky Northwest, uh, Portland. Uh, Kelly is the executive director of Oregon Trades Women. Uh, you have an eight-week program that pipelines women uh, right into the apprenticeship program, if, if that's what they're looking for, if they can complete your your uh, first uh, demanding portion of that. Uh, Thinking about your program, uh, Kelly, uh, for myself, and I, you know, I was, you know, kind of, it was, you know, higher education back. I got out of high school in 73. That was when the idea of blue collar work was starting to get uh, a bad reputation, I hate to say, mm -hmm. it attracted me. But uh, I, I think it must be amazing to see these women, uh, again, with all the biases in our culture, still our society, uh, that really can dig tools. I just think that because man, I guess I just love tools. I mean, you know, I, I uh, be it yeah. a chainsaw or a hammer, uh, a shovel, you know, uh, I got tools that were my grandfather's because I, I've taken good care of them. And my dad took good care of them. Uh, that must be a, a re very rewarding for your instructors to see um, 
a, a person light up that uh, especially when it's, it's it's again not the typical role of a of a, a woman or those who identify as a female uh, to uh, that you know can really light up when they start handling that stuff. Kelly, I hope I, I hope I didn't go off, off on a tangent there. No, I appreciate that because you're absolutely right. I mean, the you you know you can see the shift in our program participants from day one. We're understandably so. Folks are a little nervous. They're a little anxious. Some folks who are coming into our program have don't even know how to drive a stick shift. So they're trying to imagine how can I run a backhoe or a crane? Um, and our instructing team, uh, Carol and Brenda, they come from one has a background as a carpenter and the other one was a boat builder. Um, very tough industries, both male dominated, you know, play, uh, places of work. And they, they understand the anxiety that students have. Um, and we work through it, you know, in addition to the technical skills that we teach folks, we also do a lot of employment skills. We talk about how to how to put a resume together for the trades, how to build your portfolio, how to interview, because interviewing for the trades is different than if you're going into an office job interview, that kind of thing. But each week you see on their faces, like the change and the level of confidence building that happens over time and the community of support that the, the folks in our class, the women in our class have for each other is tremendous. And I will tell you, we're, we're a little nervous, like how are we going to do that with most of the class being virtually, but we're going to find a way to help build community. Cause that, that's the cool piece too. When trades, when they graduate and they're on a job site and they see one another, they're like, Hey sister, you yeah. went to Oregon trades with me. But it's it provides that important network of support. So if you're having a rough day, yeah, graduates call us all the time, but they also call each other, right? They find ways to mentor each other. And we see women after they've been in the trades for a while, they come back and they volunteer with us. They come back and they become a mentor for someone else. Uh, they give back to the organization in so many ways. We have them as guest speakers on our Tradeswomen Tuesdays, where we highlight tradeswomen as role models. They come back and participate in our career education sessions. Um, and, and many become donors to the organization, which we're very grateful for. So it really is a community. And beyond being a community, it's a movement. Um, and every year, there's a tremendous conference that is supported by North American Building Trades Unions called Tradeswomen Build Nations. Now, this year, unfortunately, it's going to be virtual. Uh, but what you will see, John, is once a year in October, women from New Jersey run and hug a sister from California that they've never met before, but they were friends on Facebook in the tradeswomen community. So it's more than just that. It's a movement. And it's very powerful, uh, and and I'm I'm so proud to be part of it because uh, there's such a fierceness and pride about being a tradeswoman, and and such a powerful uh, place to be in where you can be really proud of work that you're doing and work that you're doing uh, in a way that has dignity. So it's it's just a great it's just a great place. I'm so lucky to have my job. <laughs> well, your heart's in it, and, and that's wonderful, and that's what it's going to take. It, it is a movement, like you say, Kelly. Uh, and again, with still the underlying um, barriers there, or maybe not even underlying, uh, uh, that still exist or historically are out there. Um, I think part of what we had to face, which I think we failed to in this country, is when we started looking at uh, opening up the trades to people of color, to women, is that uh, we also went into a time politically where we were uh, 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 we were not making the pie bigger. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing, another yeah. thing and a whole nother conversation there. But, uh, you know, the, the, to everyone get a slice of the pie, the pie has to be bigger. You can't, you know, and that's going to make it uh, better. That's a whole nother movement maybe, or, or a whole nother conversation there. But what you're doing is great. Uh, um, something I saw here and, and stop me if I'm, if I uh, 
got my signals crossed or I got my conversations crossed. Uh, community benefit agreements. Are you guys involved in those at all? I mean, uh, Absolutely. yeah, we want to get into that. Yeah, I talked to Don McIntosh about that in particular, where they're redoing the old uh, uh, post office facility there in the Pearl District. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, no, John, thanks for bringing that up because I think that's an important piece of the work we do as well. In addition to our apprenticeship readiness program, our supportive services and mentoring retention services, we also uh, are very strong advocates for a solid public policy at the local, state, and national level. We work in coalition nationally with our sisters in the uh, National Task Force for Tradeswomen Issues on federal public policy that impacts uh women working in the skilled trades and other non-traditional occupations around gender equity and occupational segregation. But here locally in Portland, we are are, uh, very lucky to work with um, stakeholders in our community and industry through a coalition called the Metropolitan Alliance for Workforce Equity. And uh, community benefits agreements are one of the policy levers that we have been collectively able to push out so public owners have been convened over the last uh, about year and a half and led by our metro regional government to say, when you're building and you're expanding and you're investing public dollars in infrastructure and expansion, how can we make sure that those dollars are invested in a way that's equitable for our region, for our job seekers, for our community. And uh, community benefits agreements are uh, not a new mechanism. Other communities um, have been using them. Uh, The Partnership for Working Families was instrumental in, I believe, launching one of the first ones, or it might have been Lane, uh, an advocacy organization in California. But it's a collective movement that advocates for equity uh, in, in our industries are working on um, across the country. And when I was in Cleveland at Hard-Headed Women, we worked with other partners to implement the first CBA in Cleveland, Ohio. And basically, it's a way to say, we're going to make sure these investments of public dollars are reaching everyone. So let's make sure there's prevailing wage on these projects. Let's make sure that there's a goal for apprentices. Let's make sure there's a goal for women and uh, black, indigenous, and other people of color on these jobs. Let's make sure that minority contracting firms have the support they need to have access to these contracts and be able to grow. And then other, certainly there's other supports that folks can put into a CBA, which is a legally binding agreement that says, here's how we're all gonna meet these goals together to make our community better through this public investment. So it's really exciting to be um, part of that work and to be um, making a difference in that way for folks in our communities, especially, you know, John, when you think about how development happens, sometimes development does not happen with an equity lens, right? Sometimes it happens because there's an opportunity for someone to make a lot of money and there's no thought to displacement of communities of color. There's no thought to the negative uh, environmental impacts that um, a project could could have. Um, so this is just a different way to reframe investment and to do it responsibly. Well, I was going to say, Kelly, I, I mean, not to make light of it, but actually more, more often than not, possibly development uh, does not take any of those considerations or a livable wage, uh, which to me uh, is synonymous with prevailing wage. Uh, the prevailing mm-hmm. wage of Davis-Bacon uh, project labor agreements, which to me uh, uh, are a parallel track to community benefits agreement. Don and I talked about that, Don McIntosh. I mean, not not truly tied, but, you know, when you're describing this, uh, the natural ally there are all workers, and which makes uh, labor and unions uh, a natural ally uh, uh, to uh, look upon those. They might look, you know, at first they might, need to be some discussion but again all of us or none of us uh it has to be the right. way it goes um uh, you know for decades we've been uh fighting this race to the bottom and uh i i see your work as uh counter to that again that uh, by giving a larger portion of our society access to these better jobs uh they're able to look upon it as uh 
them being part of it that uh, uh, and so rebuilding this sense of solidarity kelly that's great i mean uh, so i wanted to ask you about those cbas um uh, and you're again you're you're adapting to the current times uh the covid pandemic of course yeah. economics uh, we'll see when we come out of this we're gonna we're gonna get through this because uh we don't have a choice um it, it, it there might be opportunities actually to make us stronger I, i'm just so excited about your program i'm so glad we connected uh, again the whole Thank idea you. the whole I'm idea so glad you found <laughs> yeah, yeah and again thanks to northwest labor press we'll plug northwest labor press again 120 years yeah of union. yeah, yeah. So incredible that they just had their anniversary huh. we appreciate all of the stellar reporting that they do we appreciate you lifting up voices for labor in the community and just bringing tremendous resources for folks. Am I allowed to make a shameless plug? No, I was going to ask you, this is, yeah, unless you have more with, this is the plug time. So go right ahead, Kelly. Thanks, John. I, I guess I just want to share, if folks are interested in learning more, uh, not just about our organization, but we have a lot of resources and can connect folks to our sister organizations um, across the country. Tradeswomen.net is our website. And uh, if you're interested, come join us. We're having a virtual fundraiser um, called Build With Us. So this is the first time our annual fundraiser will be virtual, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's free to join us. We have an online auction. And we have a strong woman who's from a circus who'll be hanging out with me live in studio, uh, COVID safely distancing. So come hang out with us on Saturday, October 10th, if anybody's looking for something to do on a Saturday night. That's excellent. Kelly Kupchak, uh, Cleveland, Ohio native. We shared our background there and then your connection with Chicago, where I was born and raised. And now you're uh, in southwest Washington, where two of our daughters live. So uh, there's a, there was a term for that one time, you know, so many uh, steps away from connection. Um, and again, Northwest Labor Press got us together. I get the, actually the, the paper version because... Uh, growing up in Chicago in the 60s, we had three daily newspapers, Kelly, and I still like that tactical sense of, of reading. Me it. too. I, <laughs> I, I get it delivered to my desk. Yeah, yep. there you go. Amen. Okay, God bless you, Kelly. Uh, we'll close this up again. Thank you, brother. Yeah, okay, stay on the line. But this was an interview with Kelly Kupchak, Oregon Tradeswomen. And thanks again.